Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill, and I've got co-host Andy with me for another Wasp Chat, and today we are joined by Bill Elam. Good to see you, Bill. Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. For those people who don't know who you are, why don't you give yourself a little bit of an introduction? Thank you, Julian, and, and it's a pleasure to be here. I was really, uh, I've been kind of jonesing to do a podcast. I've been laid off for three weeks, and it's like, why isn't anybody calling me? So I actually had to chase Julian down, but... Uh, yeah, I uh, I don't have too much stuff to pimp. I guess I've been a uh, identified as a podcast groupie because if you scroll my Facebook page, 99% of it is me sharing somebody's podcast that I'm a big fan of, and I'm a big fan of a lot of them friends. And uh, other than that, uh, I was actually trying to get one together for a while, but uh, you know, getting distance and timing and stuff like that. And then the actual work of doing the podcast hasn't quite happened yet. But as far as my introduction to Wasp, uh, I got into Wasp early. I was actually into Wasp on the first album. Uh, a friend of mine from Florida, the best friend of my life that I uh, recently passed away about a year and a half ago, he came up from South Florida. And as uh, we know, there in the 80s, there was actually a really hot metal scene in South Florida. And uh, he brings back this album and he goes, dude, check these guys out. They're like the new Kiss. And he, he spun that first Wasp album and, you know, the thundering drums and all of that. And the songs were just fantastic. And I uh, pretty much got locked in for about the next 10 years with them. But uh, kind of hand off when uh, growing up and adulting and all that stuff happened. But yeah, I've pretty much been into him since the first album. Nice. What a great story to have gotten in on the ground floor with everything else. And yeah, you are known as one of the consumers of podcasts. So on behalf of all the shows that I've been on that you've watched, thank you very much for your support. It is very much appreciated. And you never know, now might be the time for you to get that podcast going. As you see with my show and the shows that I kind of put together, I press record, I press stop, and... Pretty much up it goes. So I keep mine to a bare minimum of editing just for my own sanity. I know Ken Mills puts his heart and soul into putting together fantastic episodes that are just full of, you know, kind of bells and whistles that enhance the content. Matt Porter puts a ton of effort into his show, which, you know, the Kiss Room broadcasts basically live. And then you catch a recap, but they've got a house band. They've got, well, they've got like a professional voice in Matt. So, you know, every show's got its own kind of quirks and fun. Ages of Rock, you know, they, they just, you know, have kind of a roundtable format. So anything is possible within these shows. But let's talk some Wasps. You know, we this is Wasp Chat number two. Jillian, you have a podcast voice, too. Oh, you, well. you, you, got, you got, you got the, you, everybody says it. You, you are the man with, you know how to direct things. You know how where to go. The questions, you do a lot of homework. I know you do do some homework in the background at times and stuff like that. So you you are you are like top notch. So uh-huh. you know, I know you get pieces to everybody else, but hey, this this right here, this man right there behind that red looks like target, you know, target thing to <laughs> for, for anyone who hasn't had a seizure already from my background. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I wholeheartedly agree, Andy. He's he's top notch. Well, thank you both. That's really kind. I, I don't like compliments, so let's get into talking about Wasp. Um, first episode we did was Andy, myself, and Brant talking about the first two Wasp albums. We, we're going to break these up into little manageable chunks when we're talking about them roughly into the eras where they occur, um, except in the case of certain albums, which are too big to, you know, uh, combined with another album. You can, you can guess which ones those will be. Uh, but for today, we're going to start not with that one. We're going to start with the one I can't now yeah, hold up because of the technical... Uh, I'll have to drop that wow. one in. Post-production, it's disappearing because of the uh, the background. You hold it up and your head disappears. <laughs> yeah. So through the magic of technology, we're going to go inside the electric circus today through... Oh. Uh, the live album that, of course, followed it, and culminating. Oh, I got the wrong album down. Uh, so I hope let's someone's go. got the the headless children out. So, well, Bill, let, it, let's yeah. go back to you. You know, your first impressions as someone who had listened to the first album in '84 contemporaneously with it going, you know, coming out, going through the last command. What were your thoughts when Inside the Electric Circus came out in what was it, 1986? Well, and to jump just a little bit before the album, I actually saw Wasp for the first time in April of 86, opening for Black Sabbath. So I got to see half of Badlands with Black Sabbath when, at that particular tour. But, uh, you know, when when you go see Wasp, it seals the deal for you. You're, it's like you are in, at least especially in that part of time, because uh, like Andy mentioned last time, the, uh, the head spinning around on the pikes at the back of the stage and the flaming logos and all this and it's like yeah because this is what i've always wanted to do you know uh, of course being a kiss fan and then uh, you know putting on a show not just getting up there and you know doing your little singer songwriter thing which not that there's anything wrong with that but it, the big show definitely does appeal to when you get over 200 people in the building and you know just the huge show and, and wasp in my opinion, they basically blew Black Sabbath off the stage that night. You know, they were just fantastic. But uh, and that was the you know the end of the Last Command tour. And then uh, inside the Electric Circus, when it came out, I was really surprised at the you know the the singles that were coming out because and it tended to be a trend for them too. Afterwards, is that they brought the they were doing covers of the singles. But then again, it was working for Quiet Riot. Why not do it for Wasp? You know, it's kind of the same idea. And, you know, they're a top-notch cover band when it comes to doing a cover, except for a very awful version of Locomotive Breath that I'll discuss later. But, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. And uh, it, it was a little different compared to The Last Command. Last Command, I could drop the needle and spin it all the way through. That was That was, and I had it on record. You know, well, by the time the, last, the uh, circus came, it was cassette time. I was struggling with, you know, I, was, I wasn't, uh, you know, I was working for a living even as a 16-year-old. And, uh, you know, you deal with crappy tape players and stuff. And, you know, you can barely hear the lyrics or something like that. But, you know, it was a good solid album. And uh, I got a, a little, I got, actually, I've got a lot of details on that one, but uh <laughs> Yeah, it was a pretty good album. I didn't think it was as good as Last Command. 
No, that was the first thing that I kind of found when it came out. I mean, I like the the big welcome in, inside the Electric Circus. That one-two punch of the opening tracks was like, wow, Wasp is back. This is, you know, pretty much a carry-on from Last Command. But then kind of image-wise, they were starting to try and make Chris Holmes look pretty, which no one can make Chris Holmes look pretty. And it's Ain't just, happening. It, it's just, just don't bother. Let the hairy guy just be the hairy guy and play he, that guitar. Talking he, about hairy guys. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing with the Chris Holmes. You know, I mean, all right, well, you, you keep going. And then, then I'll go. go, go, keep going. So I, I really liked it. And I was familiar with I Don't Need No Doctor from I think it was Ashford and Simpson. I'd certainly heard an R&B-ish version of that song on the radio prior to hearing this. And all of a sudden it was like, ooh, you know, this is like a metal cover of something that I knew was different. So unlike Slade and Quiet Riot, which, come on, is not that much of a, you know, challenge for any L.A. band to do Slade. Um, I was like, okay, I really dig this. And then you get to 95 Nasty, really up-tempo, positive, very Kiss-like. Um, you know, obviously, like you said at the beginning, you know, your friend said, this is like the new Kiss. And yeah, you know, it was very much like that. But you get to the end of Side One on the cassette, which I was obviously doing at the same time, and Shoot From The Hips, basically for me, the last good song on the album that they wrote. Um, you know, the rest of the album is just very, very forgettable to me, other than the, the Uriah Heap cover, which is absolutely outstanding. Andy, you know, talk some sense into me about the Electric Circus. I'm talking to sense to everybody. All right. I, I, I even heard that like Blackie even says that it was a tired band. They were like record, road, record, road, record, road. And then the stuff they did before they even started. You know, so he said it was a tired band. It did a tired record. I don't care. I love this well album, cassette, CD, whatever you want to call it. I love it. It was, as you say, it was cock rock to the ultimate. And let's face it, the 80s bands that came from California, they all look like Wasp did in 1986. So Wasp kind of skipped it a little bit in the early years. But by 86, they were falling all into what the L.A. scene was looking and what the rest of the world was looking like. Even Kiss wearing spandex, you know, zebra pants and, and you know, the, this whole animal thing, you know. So to me, that's what it was. If you didn't grow up in the 80s, if you weren't a child of the 80s or I don't say child of the 80s, uh, more like your teenage of the 80s, if you were a high school kid in the 80s, this was it, man. This was cock rock. This was, man, I just, this is shit you want to hear. This is the sound. This is the stuff, man, I want to get laid to. This is the, you know, I want to find girls. You know, this is what it was, even though I had a girlfriend at the time. But anyways, <laughs> this is what that was. And, and you know, and so, so that's why I looked at it that way. But again, here we go. When the, when the album first came out, my album's on the wall, so I'm not going to pull the album down. But when the cassette and album came, the first thing I noticed, again, like I said from the last command, all of a sudden, there he is. It's just Blackie on the cover, which I didn't understand because coming from other bands, even that Kiss thing, you know, or any other bands, it was like the full band should be on the cover. And I don't understand why the full band wasn't on the cover because it was a full band. He didn't have like somebody wasn't in somebody wasn't out. They had the full band and his pictures inside 
you know, it's the full band. Why can't like this be the cover picture? Why not? I, I didn't understand. I don't really understand that. So on that point, I didn't. I mean, I like the I like the cover. I like the whole animal thing because let's face it, that was huge back in the '80s. No doubt about it, it was huge. But again, I wish the full guys were on it because the full guys are there. Why isn't Chris there? Why isn't Riley there? I mean, I know Johnny Rod is new, so now we have a new in the switchover, which you know, uh, you know, Black, Blackie now goes back to guitar. And now you have Johnny Rod from King Cobra now playing bass for Wasp. So maybe that's why I didn't put him on the cover. I don't know. But to me, I think they should have all been on the cover. So on the cover thing, that's just my two cents. The back of the cover, I know it's an 80s kind of thing. I think it's kind of weird. There's just some chick there with a, you know, says a half a Wasp and is only Blackie's guitar. And there's a girl like with her legs hanging out. I mean, I get it. It's the 80s kind of thing, I guess. But it's not like the greatest back cover ever. Could have been a little bit better. They actually put the inside cover. The pictures are better on the inside than they were on the back back of the cover. <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? They had a whole insert about the whole thing. But the uh, the music wise, I love it. You know, the big welcome. You know, welcome to the electric circus. Your passport is your money. I mean, it was like a whole setup for the whole album. And uh, you know. Um, you know, from Wasp going from that opening band, as we had talked about, being full out with a whole stage and everything, all of a sudden now it's it's Wasp as their own headliner. So now the Electric Circus is well, Wasp was playing as a, now as a headliner in their own shows and maybe like clubs or something. And I happened to see Wasp and an auditorium that was like junky, falling apart. I don't even know if they highly use it. The auditorium. Uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. I don't know how I heard about it, but me and a couple of buddies bought tickets and we were on the second, we were on that balcony. So they only had, you know, the ground and whatever it was going up and then they had a balcony. Well, they only sold two rows in the top balcony. We happened to be in the front row of the balcony and is that little ticket stuff because the lady, whoever it was, took most, <laughs> took most of the half off, you know? And it was interesting going down the, the, the board, the soundboard basically said, uh, F you, I, I'm not, because, you know, I'm trying to make so everybody can hear this. Ever. Basically the, said, F, you know, full out, F you, don't touch this, all through the board, which I thought was interesting. You know, I'm like, you know, you got to understand, I'm a, I'm a teenage kid seeing this stuff going, this is nuts, you know? So we go up to the uh, second balcony and the people are like stopping us saying, you can't sit up there. And we're like, why not? Well, you're not supposed to be up there. They didn't sell tickets. I'm like, yes, they did. Here's my ticket. So, you know, here it is. So, anyways, I don't remember. Honestly, my memory is usually pretty good with this stuff. I can't remember who opened up. But I remember being front row off the balcony wishing. I wish I had a video recorder or, or a camera. But back then, again, you, you know, it was very, very tough to get cameras in and uh, stuff like that. But I remember it, they looked like they had a big giant circus tent. They came out, looked like a giant circus tent. I was amazing. I loved the whole thing. It was awesome. Me to me. Uh, I love the album itself. I don't know what it is. Everybody, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, Julia, it's like that thing, like, you love Kiss Asylum, right? You don't know why, but you still love it. Even I'm though an, most, I guess I'm an idiot. I, I, no, I, I love Kiss Asylum too more than like Crazy Nights. You know, it's Kiss more Asylum's than, the best. I make it non-makeup album there is. 
Well, there's, there's another guy. See, I never heard that. It's only the second person I've ever heard that. But anyways, I love the whole thing. I know a lot of people like this, a bunch of filler. But for me, man, there is a lot of great tunes in there. I love, you know, I love the Electric Circus, the song itself. But for me, in there with other stuff within there is uh, a Sweet Cheetah. I love that song. I mean, there, there are, there are, I mean, I know some people say this fillers, and they did it, and they did some, you know, I don't even know if I have it here. You know, they all, Blackie was in Wasp were always kind of like, they always threw like extra songs in later, you know? It was like a really kind of hunt for, for like songs. They would do songs that would like either covers or, or make it easy. Like, uh, you know, they would do like easy living, oh, a flesh and fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was album but it's on like a, a b side or an, or c side actually you know because so like he, here's here's the album like 45 or not 45 whatever, yeah, that's, that's whatever. 12 for uh, 95 nasty for those who can't see all of it yeah. yeah it's like a big big album but on the back it's got 95 nasty easy living and fish flush and fire you know what i mean so some of the stuff you had to like super super search for you know it was very weird how they how, how Blackie and company did that, you know, I'm going to say probably mostly Blackie, you know, and then uh, it's just so weird how they did some of that stuff. But some of those songs are very like cool. I thought man tonic was very like cannibal cannibal kind of thing. Like a, like a, you know, I don't know. Like, a I, I just don't get that. I mean, you were, you were talking at the top about, you know, you, you invite your girl over and you're like, Hey baby, you want to listen to Mantronic? I mean, come, no. Yeah, um, Why not? That's what I used to do. I'm like, hey, that's how you find the keepers. <laughs> <laughs> if, if they could survive Mantronic and the King of Sodom and Gomorrah, Bill. I mean, we're you know a long time on thirty, nearly thirty five years on from this album coming out, which just makes me feel really old. Now that we're to, you know now we're not talking about seventies Kiss albums. We're talking about albums that I was a teenager for, so I feel old. But how has the album aged for you? Are there are there songs that you go back to on this? You're like and just get in the mood to listen to parts of it again. Um, you know, th- what's your vote on it? Thirty five years later. To be honest, uh, I'm, I'm going to answer that, and then I want to go back to a couple of things that Andy talked about too, because I think I I kind of have a good idea of what happened behind some of that stuff. But yeah, uh, when I I really hadn't listened to it in a long time. Matter of fact, I listened to it on Amazon Music. I had the cassette, but I never upgraded the CD. And I, uh, you know, I it hasn't. It's in my shopping cart for uh, to get it on LP again. But uh, really, when it comes down to it, I think it's aged better than some other song, uh, other albums from the time, like the uh, one album of those four chicks on the cover, as they call it, <laughs> Poison. <laughs> I think it's aged better than that because I was listening through it and it's kind of like, yeah, these are cool. And, it, you know, I, I kind of went through before I know, before I remember that you sent me a, uh, some clues on what we were going to do today. I kind of went through track by track on Electric Circus and, you know, I did a couple little picky things. But really, when it comes down to it, I think Blackie Lawless, you know, when it comes to being a pop metal guy, we'll call it that. You know, he's really great at composition. You know, he does have, make some really good composition. And uh, this is going to continue further on down the line of what we're going to talk about today. And he was he was 
really in tune with uh, with everything that was going on at the time. Like Andy said, you know, the, the spandex and the makeup and the big hair and all that stuff. You know, they he looked a lot more evil on the first couple records and, you know, then kind of went to, oh, we just lost Julian. Or I did. But, but he's uh, still, I'm still here. You so, still got Yeah, if I jump okay. out, it, hopefully it's still on the recording. It's tripping me because I can't see me, so I don't know where my head's at in the picture. But uh, but they even had fun with you, Willie, right? They even had fun with it on, on like a B-side or C-side. I mean, it's weird. Douchebag blues. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> but and that's just, the, that's the cool I mean, thing is that goes back. Give me just a second because that go, kind of goes back to what another thing I was going to circle back to. But I do. I think it's an age better than, you know, look what the cat dragged in. I can't really think of another one off the top of my head because really when when look what the cat dragged in came out, I was nuts about this. I was like, oh, man, this is killer. But then this one happened and it's kind of like this is killer with balls. You know, you weren't look you weren't looking at somebody that, you know, had more makeup than your mom or something like that. They were kind of they were wild and all that stuff. But to circle back to what Andy was talking about. You know, the, the changes in this one. And I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's an Andy's favorite, but I know that one of your favorite, Julian, is Iron Maiden, correct? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, the common thread between Wasp and Iron Maiden is Rod Smallwood. And if you think about all of those crazy little EPs and stuff that Maiden put out overseas, because, you know, it wasn't just crank out an album in the U.S. and then then tour, then crank out another album. You know, they were putting out EPs and, and singles and had crazy tracks on the other ends of them and, you know, stuff that didn't make the album on it. And small, I think Smallwood was behind Wasp doing that as well. And then... Uh, if you uh, find hard to find this stuff, too. It was very hard to find. I just, like, would walk into, like, you know, your local... You know, record store, not just your, not your regular, not like your, you know, FYE or your strawberries, which was popular here in the, in, in the Massachusetts here, New England area, which is a chain, or Bull Moose, which is a chain. You had to go to like really, you know, a mom and pop record store. Also, you walk in, you're looking through. I mean, you could find Julian's favorite band, Poison, and, you know, left and right. <laughs> you know, but, but the Wasp stuff you couldn't find. And if you found it, you're like, and it's like a year later, and you go, when did the hell did this come out? And I just, this came out like a year or two ago, and well, I don't even I, know what it's about. This one's a good example, because uh, yeah. really, this is this was 83, early 84, when it came out. And, you know, it was overseas only, and I know that you mentioned the story on it last time. But, uh, but this here is an 85 U.S. pressing. Because after everybody started clamoring for it, that's when they released it through Restless in the States. But but then, you know, that's the kind of thing. I think that Smallwood was, you know, kind of like the managing mastermind. He was like the Bill O'Coin of the group, you know, behind them saying, let's saturate people with all of this. And, And unfortunately, I don't think Wasp has ever had, even though... Him and Chris, even though Blackie and Chris were in the band together for so long, I don't think that Blackie had that other person to bounce musical ideas off of. So it was more like where, uh, you know, Smallwood, he, he would do the stuff through management, 
and you know all these crazy ideas and it's like going to the circus you know that circus had to be a manager's idea to do that oh but then, you, uh, you can just imagine someone like smallwood who had in what 84 had done power slave with iron maiden and the big backdrop the majestic egyptian thing theme and then somewhere in time for them the following year all those b-sides that they were doing at the time as well juanita and uh, i'm trying to think of some of the other ones off somewhere in time so it, it wasn't surprising in some ways that wasp had some of these i didn't actually get to hear any of these b-sides until the snapper reissue came out that was the first time i heard flesh and fire my immediate response to that was well this is just the last command rewritten because musically it sounds n nearly identical to Last Command. So I was unimpressed by that and DB Blues. Oh, I mean, that's just a fun, stupid goof in the studio. The but but, that was but the both, of those, both of those are better than anything on Look What the Cat Dragged In for me. Yeah. <laughs> but the 80s, that was the time, you know? Have fun. You know, let's bet Mad Dog 2020. That's, that's actually the hell was children. Anyways, you know, stuff like that. I, I just... It was the middle of the 80s, man. What 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 other albums came out in the 80s? You know, you got some other albums that came out in the 80s and they basically kind of the same or even poppier than, than the Wasp. So the Wasp was, and I understand, yes, there were more heavy, heavy, more metal bands at the time, you know, like uh, maybe but a not, metal trip. Yeah, but, but not melodic, like, like Bill was saying about Blackie. Very melodic, but also yeah. his vocals were still barky and growly where they needed to be and really conveyed attitude and mood. And what I think with Blackie is he's incredibly well self-edited, perfect at arranging his songs and then taking them down from bloated five-minute pieces to be in the three-minute range. So they're short, they're snappy, writes a great chorus. I'm just surprised on this album that, that you know, Chris actually contributed to four, but then again, the four that he contributed to are, you know, well, three of them are my least favorites on on the album. Why don't we all pick a couple of favorites of this before we move into the live album? Andy, we'll start with you. You know, what you oh. got you got to pick two favorites and one song you don't like, or or two you don't like, or just a couple songs that you love, a couple that you don't. I hate, I hate Can we count out the, the covers just because they're brilliant anyway? I think I think we should just not include the covers in this because, you know, both covers on this album are fantastic, in my opinion. And, and I mean, and they're classic songs on top of that. So if you can pick, you know, any of the other 10, then we, we, we put that rule on it. Absolutely. Go for it. However you want to do it. You you do it your way. So, Andy. Oh, I have to go first? Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> All right. Well, we so, made the rules. You can go first. <laughs> two against one. So if anybody's complaining, I'm going for it. Oh, he's trying to take over. They said no. So anyways, really. Uh, so how many are we supposed to pick? Good? Two? However many good ones. Just pick a couple and a couple of the ones that you don't like. Well, I got to tell you, man, of course, the electric circus is awesome. Point blank, the whole beginning, the whole thing, point blank, awesome. Me, I already already said, sweet cheetah, man. I love that. It's kind of that one. It's, you know, you don't really, you know, it's not not like the one you hear all the time. And uh, I don't know about my least favorite all, out of them all. Wow. If we're going, uh, are we going to eat all the, the full 14? <laughs> When you get the beat, you know, I'd say you, the twelve. 
Well, guess what? Well, for the original, the original release. But really, man, my least favorite, and you're gonna be stunned, is the I don't need no doctor. Wow. I'm not. I'm not. I, I mean, it's okay, but I'm not like that's not because there's a reason why. We're gonna we're going to another like, couple albums from now. That's where we go for the cover. <laughs> I'm I, I'm not really big into cover songs. And I don't think that's, that's going to be the cover I shoot down a couple albums from now. <laughs> that's that's not the. I'm just saying that uh, for me, I don't need no doc. I mean, it's good, but it's not my favorite cover from them. Right. You know, that's what I mean. I I, I like I like deep songs, man. I don't like the same old same old stuff all the time. So that's just me. let me ask you because we didn't really mention it in the last episode. Did you like their cover of "Paint It Black" from '84? It's okay. Yeah. I don't think I've heard it. Yeah, I, I wasn't impressed by that one. I, I thought with this album they were certainly picking better covers again. You know, and, and, I mean, and it's, Andy's it's, already mentioned the Quiet Riot route. So, uh, <laughs> all right, Bill. I think I mentioned that too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll see here as far as seconds. So, I, I, I'm going to try to pick second favorites that Andy hasn't already picked. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I'm weird like that. I, and I'm, I like and, I, and I'm skipping the covers. Uh, okay, well, Mantronic. Back to uh, you know Andy's "Get Him in the Mood" song. You know, uh, I, I, I think <laughs> it I think mind, that's kind of a uh, reminds me of the Terminator. You spin like Mantronic and the clothes just fall off. You know, bam, like that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, and that's the thing is the only thing I found bad about Mantronic is there's a bit in it that's kind of somebody get me a doctor and I can't stop hearing it. It's like that part there. It's in it's in Mantronic. But other than that, the song's really great. But and I think it's really a sign of, you know, what we're going to see on the next album, the next studio album. And uh and and the rock rolls on. The rock rolls on. I think is a great song. And when you go through this, you know you've got eleven songs where they're not talking about rock and roll. And, you know you that's you get some albums where you've got uh, you know eleven songs and nine of them are about rock and roll. You know there, there's different subject matter on each one. Although sex seems to show up on a regular basis for some reason, like Sodom and Gomorrah. But uh, so it's in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm down with that because I was a horny 16 year old too when this came out. <laughs> Who wasn't? Who wasn't? Yeah. If you if you were born in that time, that was you know I mean there might be people listening who don't understand that. But you know on on one of your picks on Sweet Cheetah, I put down this comment. It says, "Looks like the animal found the girl of his dreams." There you go. <laughs> now that's that. right there. Sweet yeah, and then a. Uh, Right there. Nine Five Nasty is probably my least favorite, really, because it's kind of ball crusher esque. You know, it's it, it just seems like it's the same subject matter of, of one of my favorites favorites off of Last Command. You know, I, I well, the whole damn album's my favorite on Last Command. But uh and the uh let's see what else do I have here? Shoot <laughs> from the hip. <laughs> it's like it's like the teacher told Blackie, write your version of Love Gun, and you can use Gene's point of view if you want. 
you know because what? everything's talking about I have to okay now that I thought about it and think about it, again okay now I gotta switch that a little bit shoot it from the hip is actually my least favorite off that album before I don't need no doctor but you you are right yeah shoot it from the hip <laughs> Julian seems to disagree with this I, it kind of it's kind of looked like it almost I don't know I don't know it does have that weird sound to it a little bit I, I don't it's, it's good. It's good to not be on the same page when you talk about albums or music, because it's nice to hear everyone's tastes and perspectives on it. I've always loved the, you know, the the first two tracks, "Big Welcome" and "Inside the Electric Circus," are one. They're symbiotic. One can't exist without the other. It was the perfect kind of circus opening to an album that I've heard. One that kissed it very poorly in 1998. I loved it from that time. I love it now. Now that I know and have you know kind of experienced more of Blackie's you know past when you go onto youtube and you look up circus circus mr cool you see inside the electric circus in circa 1980 or 79 whenever that video was shot that they actually have the full kind of circusy backdrop behind them and obviously they're doing the song that became uh, cries in the night on last command uh, it was obvious that he was keen on the circus theme um very much so but my other favorite song on this issue from the hip I, I just like it. It's just one of those gunslinging guitar songs that doesn't sound like Bon Jovi's gunslinging guitar songs. Thank goodness. Um, I, I always liked that song, um, you know, more so than 95 Nasty. I like the upbeat. So what Julian is saying is that when he when he's turned on the, the lady with Mantronic, at the end he just says, cock it and let it rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, and of course uh, it, it was just all all the all the firearms reference, and it, it was just I just couldn't help but laugh. But it's still a great song; it's good to rock along with, you know. I, and, I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, even even a bad song on a, a pretty solid album, you know, falls down the list simply because you find there's so much else that you enjoy more than that that one song. But do you necessarily skip it? Do I skip Mantronic? That's my that is my least favorite. No. Of course not. It's part of the package. Well, I, it's part of the story. Uh, the the linear story is told on the record. So, it's my child. You know, I'm gonna say child. I keep saying childhood. My teenage years. So when when I keep thinking back to it, you know what I mean. I keep thinking back to it, leaving at home. You know, in my room or in my my hot rod. You know. Oh God, I thought you were gonna start singing a Paul Stanley song off "Live to Run" in my room. Hey, no. <laughs> Absolutely You're not. Singing the, the bangles. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm driving in my 1970 Nova, you know, my hot rod, right? You know, that, that I paid for in cash, 2500 bucks for. I mean, that thing was sweet. I wish I still had it. Anyways, uh, you know, driving down and listening to that stuff, driving down the road, me and my child, you know, my, my high school years, you know, you know, and again, you know, it's not just because the way I look, but. Andy, you can, know, you I put, can you put the back cover of the album up on the screen for me? Which one? The Electric Circus. You know, well, that image, since it's not going to... Oh. There. Okay, back Julian cover. Julian Headroom there. Yeah, flip it over. There we go. That's like Motley Crue, 1989. Blackie Lawless was ahead of the curve. That's They look like Dr. Yeah, Feelgood no, era crew. No, it's... And again, it just takes me back. If you're a child of the 80s, you know, teenage 80s, you know, that was the stuff, you know. You know, it was, you know, let's play again, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
you know, that's what it was about. I mean, really, I mean, not that everybody did it. I didn't do that. I drank a little bit, not much. I didn't do any drugs. I still don't do any drugs, whatever. Sex is a different story. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I mean, and, I, and I agree with you because when it comes right down to it, I started playing bass because of, you know, Wasp and Kiss. You know, I knew Wasp before I knew the Beatles. And that's the truth. <laughs> you know, I heard that first Wasp album before I, I think the first Beatles album that I knew it was the Beatles. I had actually bought uh, Hey Jude at a yard sale. But I knew Wasp long before that. I That was like the summer of 84 when I bought that Beatles record. But I learned to play. I wanted, wanted to play bass because of Gene Simmons and Blackie Lawless. Yeah. Wow. And, I, have to say and, and uh, I wanted to write songs the exact same way, too, because if my mother ever found the songs that 15-year-old me was writing, you know, she would have tried to get me back into Christian school, and that's a fact. And the other thing too was the last part of that for me is it was a little weird when I when I found out or or saw I don't know maybe a bootleg or went to the show or see the or, or the videos maybe oh the videos or something all of a sudden Blackie's playing bass you're like what the you know what I mean you know what I mean that that thing in your head you know this guy plays bass this guy plays a guitar this guy plays drums all of a sudden you went from Blackie playing oh yeah Blackie playing you know from playing bass to now playing a guitar, which I thought was a little strange. I wish yeah. he had stuck to bass. Really, man, I wish I, I know I know Blackie plays guitar. That's how we started. He's always been a guitar player. He wasn't originally a bass player, but I wish he had stuck to the bass. It just seemed to go naturally with all the other stuff going on. That's and all. I think it was like maybe it was the video for Nine Five Nasty where you first saw him playing like a BC Rich Warlock, right? I, that's what I yeah. can recall. So I was kind of like, well, Blackie's playing guitar now, of course, because the blonde guy's playing bass, because I didn't know who the blonde guy was until the record came out. But, uh, but, but back to that. Easy today. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to, I don't want to sound like I'm picking on Johnny Rod, but the lineup for the first, you know, you were talking about the, the band being on the album. Okay, so you had all four of them on the first album, and then you went to Blackie on the second one. What was the band difference then? Tony Richards was gone. So you wonder if Blackie had the deal and everybody else was kind of along with it, kind of like a Springsteen thing, because when it came to the record deal, Bruce was the only one that had the deal and everybody else could have kind of gone as, as he wished. But Again, that, I that last command lined up, you know, when you got Blackie on bass, keeping the dun 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 going, and then you've got, you've got Chris and Randy crisscrossing melodies and riffs and stuff in between it. I think that's what made it really, in my opinion, the primo lineup of the actual band. You know, and and this was just a, this was just a little bit more of a change, and because you know that Blackie didn't go to playing lead when Randy left. And I got a Randy story if we want to squeak that in later. But uh, you know, he didn't pick up the leads. But you had, that's like Blind in Texas, you had Chris and Randy trading leads in that thing. And it's just incredible. And you got, you know, pl playing, a, you know, wicked riffs in the middle of the verses and stuff like that. It, it took basically the, the, the compositional blinders that, that Blackie had. And, you know, it put all of this melody in between. And I don't think you quite get that one on this record. Well, I just... 
again, I, I don't think people really thought about it back then as much as they do now. They just thought, okay, guy gone, new guy in, one new guy in, switch over, the end, cock rock. That's how it was. It exploded. As as Chris says, we go when we go into the next thing, the live and a raw, and you know, explain it after the live and a raw after we get done picking and choosing songs or whatever. Uh, the story that Blackie has says about the band itself. But I just can't believe out of all the guys, I Blackie wouldn't turn around and say, "Dude, why is my why why is my photo not on the front cover? Why is my photo not on the back?" Where's the contract? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, it just, that seems very strange to me. I mean, now, knowing what the industry has flopped or whatever has done and stuff, you wouldn't think, you would think that out of all those guys that have left and come and gone, say, hey, man, you know, or no, like, you know, I'm, I'm part of Wasp. Why isn't my name on this? Why, why is my name signed on a dotted line? I, I, I don't know, but it is what it is. But again, I loved it. It was great. It looked like a going to the show. Looked like a damn circus tent. It was wild and crazy. Chris Holmes running around like a mad dog. It was, it was just nuts. And, and Johnny Rod too, running around crazy, just as almost as mad as as Chris Holmes during the shows. You know, I love Randy Piper. He was really good, but Randy kind of like more stood there. Just yeah. Kind of, but yeah, but, you know. He, he, the, the rocking back and forth in like the Blind in Texas video, that was what Chris was doing every every song. And yeah, you know, oh. Randy was was more or less yeah. focused on what you know what he was playing. But yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's the thing, you know, like with the, this tour, I think that Wasp forgot where Dayton, Ohio was, because Dayton was my place. If I if I needed to go see a show, I went to Hera and Dayton, and that's where I saw the Last Command tour. But it's like and you. I didn't get deep into the tour, but I'm not even sure they came to Ohio for this tour. I, I got, I don't know how I found out it was all luck. You know, you know how it is back then. It was all luck. If you knew somebody, if somebody talked about it, if you went to another show or any kind of show. So you say, Hey, you're going to go see this band tomorrow. But really my ticket was says 1987. Really? That's what it is. I saw the wasp electric circus tour in 1987. I'm just trying to find a date on these things. Because they ripped half of it, the damn thing. I hate that. They ripped it the wrong way. Oh, yeah. January, yeah, I, January okay. 17th, 1987. I, like I said, I, I found out on a whim somehow. So, anyways, I was very lucky. And I'm glad I went. And I'm glad I had a bunch of friends. You know, friend, went with some friends and just had a blast. It was wicked yeah. awesome as to here in New England. And that's all I can say. So the rest Jan of people January 1987, you were seeing Wasp, and I was seeing David Lee Roth. See? I mean, or people are going, hey, I'm going to go see, I'm going to go see Poison. They play at the Centrum or, or someplace sold out with 50,000 or, or 20,000 people. Well, I'm going to go see Wasp with like 10,000, you know, uh, a, a thousand people. Guess what? I'm going to have more fun than you are. I don't give a shit what you say, because I'll tell you. I, I mean, granted, everybody can have their own thing. You know, whatever. But for me, you know, yep. and other people, that was, you know, that was money for me. All right, well, so let's move. Let's move into live in the raw because in, inside the Electric Circus generated a live album and a very strange one, really, when you think that 
it included songs that were basically recorded in the studio and made live, or I'm, I'm not sure how they did that. I've never gone back and tracked down any of the shows, but uh, you've got two tracks on here, The Manimal, at which, well, well, I guess we'll talk about each one of these, and one of my all-time <laughs> favorite Wasp songs, Harder Faster, the most impolitically correct song and reaction to the PMRC that 15-year-old me absolutely loved, um, you know, fist raised, yeah, Tipper Gore, and all that. And, of course, the theme song to Scream Until You Like It, the theme from Ghoulies 2, which for me was an absolutely outstanding studio cut. I, I know Blackie didn't write it. They just recorded it. But, Bill, you know, when you encountered Live in the Raw, you know, what were your thoughts on it? As, number one, as a live album, they'd done the Kiss route of three studio albums and then the live album, as Andy mentioned in the last episode. Uh, where were you at, you know, for this as a live release? And what are your thoughts on the new songs in particular and the live recording as such? Well, I, w- I was definitely still on the, the Wasp train, you know, it, I, it's, I got it probably the week that it came out, uh, you know, because I gotten to the point where I was going to record stores not just dependent on Kmart or whatever to go get a record. And then you could find out, well, you know, well, they're touring. This is release is coming out now. And, you know, a couple months from now that you, you got release dates and you got a little more info on shows and stuff. So yeah, when it hit the, when it hit the, the racks, I was ready for it. And, uh, the, 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 uh, the approach to it, it was really kind of odd because, you're going through all of these songs and they sound exactly like the record. There didn't seem to be like any flexibility in what was going on with it. So if I want to hear something that sounds exactly like Love Machine, then I'd go back to the first album and listen to Love Machine. So and it, but as far as the new ones, you know, Manimal was probably uh, actually, I, I wrote down Manimal as my least favorite, but I'd have to change that because I really don't like Scream Until You Like It. But uh, but Manimal, the thing that kind of turned me off about it is his introduction. And, you know, like there's three points on the album where he actually does stage banter. And that's one thing is like it didn't seem like a real concert. It's just like song after song after song, you know, and he, he introduced a couple songs, but that was it. But when he does introduce Manimal, he says, this is the son of Animal. And it's like, what's wrong with Animal? Why not just do Animal? You know, so, so it kind of turned me off from that in the beginning. And it, it just really never got into it too much. Because if I wanted to hear Animal, I'd go back to Animal. So, uh, but definitely my favorite is the live version of Sleeping in the Fire. I think it is just intense. But you know, with the other, and it seemed different enough to where it sounded like it wasn't a studio creation, unlike the acoustic version on the uh, bonus disc of this album. It's definitely a studio creation. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so, you know, the old Judas Priest syndrome of Unleashed in the Studio or even the Kiss, How to Create a Live Album. There you go. There, there's the cassette. <laughs> That's what I had right there. Same. Yep. I was a cassette guy as well for many, many. I, I still buy cassettes. You know. I but, still have but, some of mine. But, but look at this. They not only not only did they you know the the band that played on it, they actually have the you know the original. They actually did you know when they did the black and white. See. So they didn't yeah. even leave them out. So they actually even put. 
Right. You know. Yeah. Which is everyone except Rick Fox. That's just that's. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Well, I mean, still though, at least they, you know, yeah, yeah, like, poor Rick Fox. You know, be interesting to see what his thoughts are, you know, on some of these albums, you know, or just Wasp in general. Yeah, I mean, he'd be a fun interview to have just with his kiss stories, Steeler. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? We may have to do some, may have to talk about Steeler at some point, and may have to talk about Sin. Um, but Andy, you know, what are kind oh. of your your thoughts on this as a live album, and you know, what are your standout tracks? Because I, I want to kind of blow through this this album since it is kind of I, just a space filler, and then get into the next studio album for to wrap up this episode. So go. It's a space. <laughs> Filler. Come on now. Tell, tell so, Andy I mean, to make it short. It, no, it, it, it was a total space filler until the bonus edition came out in '98 with you know shoot from the hip, Widowmaker, Sex Drive, and the again you know the acoustic it, version it, it, Sleeping in the Fire. I didn't have an asterisk on Sex Drive because that that sounds like a live concert recording. You know, the Widowmaker and the and and Sex Drive those bonus tracks. That's what the rest of the album should have sounded like. Right. But there were so you could tell where there's just like a. I was talking to somebody earlier about a. I was talking to somebody backstage and telling them that you shouldn't have three part blacky harmonies on the choruses because you can tell he went in there and sweetened everything up or a lot of it up. There needed to be a three part harmony. He went in and did it himself. But you didn't have that on those bonus tracks. Well, you you know you know every band you know the whole live stuff. We we all know the reality of what live is and what live isn't. So yes, we do. Point, <laughs> it don't matter because if you actually got a real live live show, you'd be like, this sucks because you would sound like shit. <laughs> so it would be like releasing a Facebook video. Yeah, or, or, you know, that's why you buy bootlegs, because you do want the live experience of the show, not a representation, which most live albums are little more than a representation of the band. And they're not going to, you know, have Blackie screwing up a vocal or someone missing a cue. It's all fixed, polished and presented in a way that is not realistic. Yeah. So so here is here is the VHS they hit came out with. <laughs> Hey, you got the whole band on the cover there. Oh no, they're, they're not on it, but they're on the back. <laughs> the whole band's on the back. Hey, they're working their way up the food chain. I, I guess so. You know, I mean, you know, again, this is this is now. When did this come out? Well, if that came out. It's got kind of, it came out the same year as the Electric Circus came out, so they, no, they did it. Circus was '86. Oh, that's true. I saw him '87, so it's probably you know yeah, the '86, '87. Again, it's probably a fall release. Probably, I, I would I probably agree. But anyways, um, 1988. I, I, there we go. Was and it '88? It was '88. So that took them two years before we released something. But so so now we just got to go back a little bit before this whole thing. Blackie had said at the end of oh no that's part of this okay never mind. Uh, so anyways, I I like the live thing because it gave us a live thing, kind of like the Kiss Alive, Kiss Live Two. It gave us a a live thing as like if you weren't there if you didn't get to see it, you get like 
get to hear it. And then you get the video thing. If you grab the video, you get to see the stuff. So I think it was for the people who miss out and stuff like that, which is awesome. You know what I mean? You got to say, because if they don't do this stuff, people miss out. You don't get to see it. You don't get to hear it. You know, people don't go buy and buy the back catalog because they don't know about it. And so, they needed something to release with Scream until you like it so they could have a full album. Correct. And then, <laughs> and then uh, as you know, we got, we got, uh, they came out with a scream until you like it uh, thing, and you know, Blackie and the Ghoulies are on the front, the album, and then which again, I don't understand. This is another great photo of the whole band, but it's on the back. But at least they're on the back. Back you can see it. And you know, that's the thing about it with it being a soundtrack song. You have it a lot more now than you did back then. But usually, if something ended up on the soundtrack the artist would have to go back to the owner of the soundtrack to get permission to put it on their own album. It didn't happen a lot. So back to Rod Smallwood, Rod Smallwood said, yeah, we'll give you this great song. that's going to fit in your movie. But when we put out our live album next year, we're going to have it as a bonus track because he already had that in his head because he probably went through that with Maiden at one point where, you know, they did a comp or something like that, that they put a single track on. Yeah, I mean, and Smallwood was definitely a genius behind this band. Yeah, and then and then and then they came on to picture this. I like the same thing in the front. That's cool. <laughs> and then they did, uh, you know, this Blackie looking at one of the little, you know, cooling dudes, and it's got the scream to you like it, shoot it from the hip, and sleeping in the fire. So again, it's just Blackie, which, you know, again, I understand two of the best three songs off that album. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. And definitely the best two live tracks. Uh, no. <laughs> All right, Andy, give us your pick yep. so we can move into Headless. All right. Well, you know, again, well, not just we didn't even go through the other, the other song. You know, you know, again, Wasp at the time, you know, back from their 1986, 87 World Tour, the most outrageous band in the world wasp point blank and it was correct they blew everybody away everybody thinks motley crew was the bad boys and they were so bad they were for christ's sakes they were wearing pink so don't (laughs) say anybody tell me that motley crew was such a badass they weren't wasp was basically the badass again getting banned from places doing this they were the real cock rock, you know. I don't get, you know, in Julian's favorite band, Poison, coming out with their their stuff, you know, radio play. Really? You heard it on the radio? Oh, I love it. Really? If it's radio play, it's probably not really hot enough for cock rock. Guess what? I, actu- I actually bought the Poison album because I thought it was a girl band. Well, wrong, wrong out. Well, then they- <laughs> Oops, I put the wrong thing. Anyways, you know. When I first heard this, I'm going through it. You know, you hear the songs, the natural songs, the regular songs, and then I heard Manimal. I'm like, what is this? I've never heard a band just all of a sudden say, we got this song. We're going to try it out on you. Are you shitting me? Really? (laughs) You know? And then all of a sudden we got down down near the end, right? Harder, faster. Now, if that isn't the the biggest F you, the PMRC... Those people, if you don't know who they are, go look them up. Wasp was on the list. And actually, Wasp should have been 
number one through five on the list. I don't know. Some of the songs that they had on the list, I don't. I wish I had the list. Julie, I'm surprised you don't even have that list of the what the, the 15 most dirtiest songs. The filthy of, 15. Yeah. The filthy 15 and Wasp was only like. What was it? It was Prince. Uh, Prince. Madonna really? was on there. Yeah. Madonna. Seriously. Wasp should have been the first five or six alone. The animal wasn't even on the top. Animal was like number eight or some number eight or number ten. Crazy, you know. So, anyways, I thought it was wild. It just gave everybody a thing, and of course, you got you know screaming till you like it, which gave the movie. The movie's kind of corny. <laughs> I think the movie's kind of corny, but but I love and I love horror movies and stuff. But that whole thing, those people can suck me, suck me. Eat me raw, cause this is hotter, faster. You <laughs> awesome dudes from, <laughs> especially when you're you're in that high school age. You were basically saying, you know, screw you, screw everybody who doesn't like this stuff. Point blank, I love it. So if we're well, supposed it, to, it was that, like a basketball play, you know, because in '85 and '86 you had, you know, D. Snyder and and Blackie Lawless were targets for the PMRC, and it's like D. Snyder set the pick holding the back while Blackie went and did the slam dunk. You know, that's well, pretty much how it was. Yeah, I understood that Blackie was actually asked to go to it. Blackie basically listened to some people in the back, you know, I don't know if it management stuff, and they told him, don't go. Just don't do it. You know, don't give them, you know, don't give them the credit, right? Don't don't give these people the, the P, you know, the PR for it. He said, okay, I'm not going to do it. So he didn't do it. So next time I got, you know, D. Schneider from Twisted Sister doing it. Whatever. Uh, Big deal. It sounds like something Rod Smallwood might have come up with. He goes, we, you know, we could pick this ball up and run with it. Yeah. yeah. Now, <laughs> before, I know Julian said he wanted to get into the next album, but part of this to get into the next album is that the, the story goes like this. Is from what I know, from what I heard, everybody tries to find out that Blackie Lawless basically said, you know, I'm tired. This is a tired band. Studio. Blah, studio. Blah, 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 blah. So after the last night, and I think it was in California, which I'm pretty sure, uh, what's that arena in California? It was Long Beach. Long Beach, there it is. So at, at the end of the show in Long Beach, they had a huge party, you know, like they did in the 80s, huge party. Well, Blackie Lawless, everybody was there, you name it, they were all there. Blackie Lawless basically got up, left it, went on the top of the roof of the place or somewhere, sat there and said, this isn't for me. We've taken it way too far. This is not what I wanted Wasp to be. This is way out of control of what's going on. So you know it's about the partying, the drugs, and everything else. Because Blackie Loss was no saint either. You know, he'll tell you later on, if you look on there, wasnation.com, that he would had indulged in stuff too. Not just the women thing, the drugs thing, and everything else. You know, if somebody shoots me wrong about it, whatever. But he had said that this was it. I need a break. This is not where I want the band to go. And I'm done. And basically, that's how it ended. And going to the next record, that would be probably one of the most important moments of introspection in his life for what came after that. And what album is that, Julian? That is The Headless Children, which I didn't even know came out. Uh, because it, it came out early in 89, I think the spring, so April or something. I was living in Singapore, and certain bands were banned uh, through censorship policies in that country. 
So I flew into England for Christmas that year. And first thing I always did when I got to Liverpool was go record shopping pretty much. Um, you know, whether I was with my grandparents in Southport or in Liverpool, you know, hanging out with the university crowd of my sister. So I went into the stores. I saw Wasp, Headless Children, Forever Free. The single was up uh, by that time. And I was like, wow, new wasp album i was just absolutely thrilled um i wasn't exactly starved for music in singapore but because of the censorship there were some things that didn't come in immediately that took a while to get through um into the store so i spent a lot of my time in singapore going through back catalogs uh just because you know that that was what it was better for especially with all the the records and tapes coming out of thailand and indonesia but once i put this cassette on from the moment it started, I'm like, wow, this is a completely different band. The sonics had changed. The lyrics had changed. The style of music had evolved. And I'm like, what happened to their drummer? Um, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> you, know, you know, immediately you start off with a very atmospheric, long intro leading into the heretic. Um, and then it's like the gloves come off. And I was just impressed. I was absolutely stunned. There are very few times in my life that I've spun an album for the first time and absolutely been blown away by the contrast of that album and the one that preceded it from the band. So the jump from Electric Circus to The Headless Children was an absolute quantum leap as far as I was concerned. Bill, you know, what do you remember about listening to it the first time or knowing that it was coming out, your anticipation, and then what you're actually rewarded with when you spun it for the first time? Well, to follow up on yours, did you hear it on cassette or CD first or LP? Cassette. Yeah. When you, that's, this is the first album that I bought CD straight off the shelf. I just held up the LP while you were talking, but uh, I didn't get that until like in the past year or so. I bought, you get this, you know, pristine CD, digital recording, all that mastering and everything like that. And you drop that in and it's like they crawled out of the speakers and just blasted it in your room. And exactly what you said, you know, the entry going into the heretic, you're like, oh man, this is absolutely fantastic. But then you got where you had mentioned, uh, where's the drummer? I had already known by that point, by reading Circus and, and Faces and all that stuff, that Stephen Riley had went to L.A. Guns by then. So I didn't know that Frankie was going to be playing on this. I knew Steve had gone to L.A. Guns because I had that first Guns album when it came out. But I was like, they're, they're only pictured as a trio. Where's that fourth replacement member? As we were used to them flipping yeah. members all the time. Uh, he, he's right here. You know why? You know, you, know, <laughs> you know why he's not in the CD or whatever in that picture that I just showed? This, see that picture? And you see it a lot. Yeah, that, that's the picture I'm referring to. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. That, that's the only you know one why? I remember from the cassette. You know why? Because he wasn't actually a member of the band. He had supposedly uh, Black just started playing the album uh, on their uh, website or something, whatever it is. Uh, Frankie hadn't actually signed. He didn't sign on the dotted line. Uh, he was probably still in Quiet Riot then. Could have been. Because they had did that QR3 album the year before. Unfortunately, that god awful album made it through the censors in Singapore. 
<laughs> so so that that's that's the reason I had heard or saw about why Frankie's not is isn't pictured in inside the C D or cassette or what or whatever you may take it at the time is that he played but he didn't sign his John Hancock on it. All right. Like fair, fair enough, Bill. Back to you about your your thoughts. I'm sorry for interrupting you there. Uh, and and that's the thing about it is when you got Randy, and that was the cool thing about all these Wasp albums, is it didn't matter what format you were buying it on, is you got all those liner notes. You know, it wasn't like buying something from Columbia House. You got everything that made me want to go to the store and buy it because you knew you were going to get every detail, mostly uh, most times all the lyrics and. Uh, you know, then you go down and it says drums, Frankie Benali, and it's like, oh, wow, well, that makes sense now. Because when it comes down to it, is Frankie Benali was the best thing to happen to Quiet Riot since Randy Rhodes left. But uh, you just hear these thunderous drums, and, and I've always kind of made a pun about it that Frankie Benali's best work wasn't even on his own band's album because he just thunders through this one. But I, the, I did hear the real me and see the video before the album came out. And I wasn't even, I wasn't so into the who that I knew that that was a who song to start off with. It was actually my roommate goes, man, that's like off Quadrophenia. I was like, Oh really? So, but man, do they thunder that through that song? And it's just like, uh, I was just totally blown away when I dropped that CD in and it just, crawled out of my speakers andy oh my god when that thing came out that was the <laughs> holy mother of wow i'm serious i'm serious I feel so dude <laughs> so he if hated you're, it if you're not even a wasp fan borrow it from somebody i'm serious you just put it in you are totally blown away. And for the people, sometimes pick on Chris Holmes for the guitar playing. Oh, you know, they needed Riley. And stuff. And it's a, oh, my. Uh, unbelievable. He like, is vicious on this album. Absolutely oh, vicious. And rips all the way through it. It was insane from top to bottom. That album's insane. I couldn't believe it. I looked. What? Well, first of all, on the front cover, none of them are on it. So I was like. Okay. Oh, there's, Here we go. there's Charlie Manson on there, so. Oh, <laughs> Old yeah, Adolf, uh, Joseph Stalin, uh, yeah, a yeah. bunch of lovely yeah, people. Yeah, there's a bunch of fruitcakes on here. <laughs> so, you know, but but the point is, you know, I mean, when you're when you're that age again, you just look at it you're like, okay. But then you you listen to Blackie's stories about the cover and about the songs, you know, the Headless Children, what it's all about. You know, it's 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 you know about all the bad people in the world and all the real, you know, the worst people up to date at the time are on the cover, and it was the reason. You know, it was almost like a storytelling. You know, and the, that's the whole album was that way because you well, didn't have to have somebody interpret it to you. You flipped open the the lyrics and you look and you go, "Wow, this this is some heavy shit here." You know, and to to back up on you where you were talking about Chris Holmes. And it sounds like I beat up on Johnny Rod for the last two albums. Johnny Rod just completely exploded on this album. His it's bass like, is all over the place. I mean, it's like they, they, I don't know, maybe maybe what Blackie was like, they took the time off. You know, they said, oh, I take the time off. Blackie has time. He writes, you know, Blackie's a really good songwriter. And, uh, and I think that 
I don't know. It, it's a, it's almost like a whole different band, but three three out of the three out of the four guys are there. Yeah, and, 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 and that was what shocked me at the time was how focused it was. The guitars, they are razor sharp. Uh, I, I mean, it oh. is the crispness, the attack. I mean, it, it was like what was happening with Judas Priest and KK and Glenn started to get more into attack picking on it. But the, it was really crisply produced. So you got a great guitar tone out of it. Johnny Rod and the bass and the drums. When you have Johnny Rod married with Frankie Benali on the backbeat, just the foundation that you've got to layer everything else on top. And then, of course, Blackie's vocals. And I think what I loved about it at the time was I was a bit older by then. What, 89? I was, you know, 18. Um, So he was writing about more worldly subjects. He was writing about themes that resonated with me no longer as a 14-year-old, you know, enjoying The Last Command, you know, for the reasons that I enjoyed that album. Now, you know, you've got the Neutron Bomber. You've got... You know, Thunderhead. I mean, come, and the headless children itself. Yeah. It's just absolutely epic. Yeah, I mean, just Thunderhead, man. Listen to that song, right? It's about shit that's going on like recently in the last couple of years. It's like he's already, he's already guessed what the future is going to be. You know, well, it was a Reagan eighties. Yeah, but <laughs> true. But people. Yeah, but most people in the 80s, well, what were they doing in the 80s for drugs? It was coke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Needles. It wasn't being shot up as much. Andy, I do not recollect. (laughs) Do not recollect what? The the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just saying, though, you know, coke was the biggest drug in the 80s, okay? But, you know, here he is, Thunderhead, talking about dope in, in, in death in the middle of the song about how like he's singing the song and his own brain, his own mind is re-talking to, will you do this for me? Yes, Thunderhead. Will, will you will you ruin your life for me? Yes, Thunderhead. Will you sell your soul for me? Yes. Will you die for me? Will you kill for me? And that's what drugs do to your brain and your body, you know? So he had, I mean, not that drugs have never been around, but the, it's the needles, you know? And like, he's just like, you know, pick up a gun, it's faster. Get your life over, just shoot yourself. You know what I mean? It's like, so, so the drugs, the needles, you know, it's a slower death, you know, and look at the epidemic we've had of, of, of needles. <laughs> and, and now, and we're in 2020, and this shit was done back in 89. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, you know, if you compare it, <clears throat> excuse me for a second. If you compare it back to, like, one of the drug songs from earlier on, like Master of Puppets. Master of Puppets from beginning to end of the song is cocaine. You know, being being a victim to being just totally addicted to cocaine. But when uh, when Thunderhead comes out, it makes Master of Puppets sound like you know, it's just weak compared to what right. Thunderhead is. Because Thunderhead's putting its finger in your face and going, "You will die for me," and it's like, "Yes, Master," and all that. You know, I agree with you, and I, I kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, just to follow up on what you were saying, but and it, and it, amazing songs. Uh, and then, and then, then you got uh, you know, Mean Man. You know, it's supposed to be you know about Chris Holmes. Is really Chris Holmes that mean? I don't know. I don't know him personally. But I don't. I don't know if he was that mean. But I mean, just I don't know, man. I'm telling you again, if you've never heard 
the headless children borrow it from somebody or whatever you got to do. No, just go Listen. buy it. Just go I'm buy sorry. it. You know, yeah, I mean, we, we've we've talked about Wasp and its ballads before, and uh, obviously Sleeping in the Fire is an outstanding song, it, an absolutely incredible creation, but Forever Free was oh next level, and that was the CD single that was out, um, you know, at, at the time, which, and the video is, is what I recall, I mean, I was like going, oh my god, the Wasp is actually doing a ballad. And, and it's good. Uh, yeah, and it's credible, and it's awesome, and it's strong. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was, certainly wasn't, you know, it, well, I don't want to make it, phrase it like that. It was a, such a better ballad than Every Rose Has Its Thorn or something like that, you know, even compared to, like, I would take uh, Forever Free over Forever by Kiss because it's just that much better of a tune. Anything's and better than Every Rose Has Its Thorn. That's one of the oh, worst yeah. songs That's... to ever be popular. <laughs> I call, I call it. Now, you, now you brought up this single, because this is basically the LP version of that CD single. Did that CD single have Blind in Texas Live in 89 on the back, I mean, also on it? Or do you recall? I, I have no recollection of that. <laughs> I've, 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 I've listened to this twice, because I, I listened to it, and it's like, oh, God, this thing's filthy. So I cleaned it and kept listening to it. And I even listened to it on Amazon Music. Uh, it comes up on the Love Machine Live and Blind in Texas Live are bonus tracks on a re-release of Headless Children. And it's like, okay, well, that's cool. But you go through and you listen to Blind in Texas, and it starts at the third verse. The beginning of the song isn't there. The first two verses are gone. All you hear is some silence. And then it's like, an El Paso. It's like, what the hell? And it turns out that this record is exactly the same way because I bought this record when I didn't have a, a functioning record player. It was four dollars and fifty cents, and it had a poster in it, so it was a great deal. But nice if you <laughs> if you go back and you listen to it, it's free on Amazon Music. You go you go to the uh, extended version of this album, and it's the live version of Love Machine is killer, especially with Frankie playing it. You know, it sounds a lot more like the original version but live and then you get to this point where everything's quiet and then they just jump into the third verse of blind in text it's like that's kind of stupid yeah <laughs> like i don't, I, I, I don't remember I'm, I'm looking it up on you know discogs because it would have been the uk version that i bought and it was the eagle edit of forever free and i have no idea what the heck that means i don't remember differentiating anything uh, eight in england this uh, is actually an english dish. I apologize on behalf of them. Um, you know, and it, it, I, I, and Love Machine, I, I I don't remember. So, it, it, and again, I got lucky again. I don't know how again. <laughs> you know, because back then they didn't have like the fan club or anything. But I was lucky enough to see him again. And you know, in nineteen, he's uh, here we go, nineteen eighty nine, July twenty first, nineteen eighty nine, uh, called the City Club in Boston. So I must have heard it from somehow or somewhere. I, I don't know. Because back then, you know, at the internet, I don't even think it was born yet. Uh, it was Wasp. Now, check out this lineup. It's kind of interesting. Not that I'm the biggest fans of them. And I yet to happen to see one of them open up the kiss. So it's kind of funny. But you had Wasp, Metal Church, and Accept. Those are the three bands. That sounds like a brutal show to go to. That, that, yeah, that you, sounds you, really tough. Except you go home with a, neck cramps. Listen to that. Yeah, and church. <laughs> oh, what is it? Good, 
gen- general mission in a club, I was all good. I got, I happened to get lucky. Like I said, I got, I don't know how lucky, but I ended up catching two wasp picks. Is yeah, oh, you get that sweet. one. One from uh, Blackie and one from Johnny Rod. That's really cool. cool. I like that. I, I got, I got luck. Again, I got lucky. It's not. I'm serious. I got lucked out on some of the stuff I was actually to see. I don't know how, why. I don't even probably remember how I got into all the way into Boston at the time. Because if anybody knows Boston traffic and how to get around, it is absolutely nuts compared to what it used to be. You know, it's better now than it used to be, but stuff like that. And also, uh, they came out with, since we're talking about the album, uh, he was the like a single again, the real me. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I didn't buy that because of that cover. I thought that was the lamest cover oh, I've ever yeah. seen. So I, I didn't buy any of the singles that had the good B-sides on them, which is a shame because as you're, Andy's showing, you know, that had uh, Lake oh, of Fools, Lake of and, Fools uh, on it too. And, and War Cry. So, and, and, and I'm telling you, it's like a poster. If I open it, that's a, like a Pope Pope big poster that holds the whole album together. So I don't want to like mess it up. Again, two, and I'll tell you, uh, if, if you if anybody's interested, and I and I didn't even realize it myself, if you go on YouTube and look up Wasp Lake of Fools, somebody, oosh, just lost that album. That's not fun. <laughs> somebody did a video of Lake of Fools with an old cartoon, like uh, <laughs> Mickey Mouse. But uh, look, watch the cartoon in the, the, the video. It matches so good. It's scary. It's not Fritz the Cat, is it? <laughs> but it's all in like black and white. I, th- and I think I, it. I think it was the one of the really early uh, Disney ones. I've seen it, and it's fantastic. Do as Andy all, said, check it out. But it is kind of, it's kind of like really creepy, you know, because the song matches with that video, like really intense. You know, they're in Lake of Fool, they're in the fire, they're in the thing, and it's Betty Boop. That's what it is. Betty Boop's in, in okay. hell with, with a bunch of demons and stuff and bowed out. I, it is really, really good. <laughs> some some cool. people can make some serious uh, DVDs, uh, uh, YouTube videos with songs. is unbelievable. So, again, I was very lucky to be able to see this Angel Children. I'm wearing the shirt. I can actually speak. It on. Yeah. And you've got one over your shoulder too, there. Yeah. This this was the other one. This this was supposed to be, you know, the Chris Holmes one. Him on the bike giving the finger. You know, the mean man one. Cool. And this is the back of it, giving the him giving the finger and smoking as an American headless tour. So you know, again, I don't know, I can't even remember and I'm pretty good with my memory, but I, I got absolutely lucky to go again, you know? Because I don't know, when did, the, when did the internet even come out? In the 90s? 93. 90. It got popular around the Midwest about 96. There were some people in 95 that had some, but when when we had local service, it was 96. Yeah, the, the, there was there were dial-up BBSs and all that in the early 90s before that. Let's talk about some of the B-sides on this, because this is another album that we get several covers out of Blackie and the guys. I mean, obviously, there's the real me on the album itself, but two of the B-sides that show up are, well, the other one, pardon me, is um, Locomotive Breath. So Blackie uh, Lawless takes on Jethro Tull, Bill. Your reaction that, says that you're first. That is that. the worst version of locomotive breath ever. 
It just, I, I just find it absolutely. I mean, Locomotive Breath, even in Jethro Tull's form, is a heavy song, you know. And they could have just totally, with Frankie on the drums, they should have just totally blew the roof off of that song. But then it kind of, they kind of turned it into a 85-ish sounding song. You know, it just, it really, I, I just heard it for the first time to, to, in the past couple of days. And I was like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> Pass. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not for me. And of the, of the other songs, I think Lake of Fools is the one particularly worth checking out in, in my opinion. Andy, concur, disagree? I concur. Not only check it out, but I don't know who the person is on YouTube, but go look it up. The video, man, the video goes along with that song. So amazingly, it's, it's, Again, it's just really, really oh, wow. kind of weird. When you know, I share this, I'll make sure I put a link to that video in the in, in the first comment, you know, where people can find that right away after watching the show. But now, is Lake of Fools a cover? No. No? no. Okay. I, I, don't, so I, don't believe, I don't believe so. Yeah, and same with For in Whom the, the Bell Tolls. And it, in, in, the, it, in the guitar work that Chris does, man, unbelievable because it it, it it fits with the album perfectly you know that's the thing is the other yeah it and war cry you know they just fit they would it's probably like they didn't have enough room on the lp for it or something but yeah i i love those two yeah it's it, and i think i think forever free is not just like a ballad i think it's like a heavy metal ballad it's not in the same i don't think it's the same category as a complete 100% battle, like, every someone has its thorns, like Julian's favorite band, you know, and Kiss Forever, you know? It's not... <laughs> okay, Mr. Aerosmith. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, two, you, you, two can play that game. You did that last week, so now this is my week, and he started it first, so, and you didn't even know, so... Payback. Uh, anyways, I, I think, you know, Forever Free is like a heavy metal ballad. It's not exactly a whole 100% ballad. But well, and that... That's the thing is it's when even though the word the set word free is in both songs, it's kind of like an, an eighty a late eighties version of Freebird. But it's not totally aping Freebird. You know, it's it's talking about the same subject matter and everything like that, but that's where it kind of stops and it's just like I said earlier on, a brilliant composition and the melodies in it are amazing. And the so there's nothing wrong with the whole song. You know, if, if it comes on the radio, there would be no way that I would skip it. I don't skip it on the record. I don't skip it on a CD. And that's one thing that I've had consistently with the two studio albums that we've talked here. I don't think that any there's a skipper really in any of them. And there's definitely not one on Headless Children. It's very high with the Headless Children to skip any. I, I, I mean, uh, I don't yeah. anyways, but this this album, I mean, Blackie produced it even. I mean, even even that. You know, you don't have like the Paul Stanley, tr <laughs> the Paul Stanley trying to produce a Kiss album. <laughs> you know, I mean this this album's full out in your face, kick ass to the max. I mean, well, there are skippable it, songs, and there is. Oh, ab you're oh absolutely, because <laughs> what I had to do with all of these, and again, when I uh, you know moved to America, I left a lot of my stuff in storage in Scotland, so I never got that stuff back because it got stolen um 
So when I started replacing these, uh, I was doing some PR for Snapper at the time and getting some stuff out of them. So I got all these CDs out of the, the label. Um, what I had to do was take all the B-sides and additional tracks off all of these albums and stick them in a different folder when I ripped them to my computer to listen to, because I could not listen to these albums in their remastered format with all this stuff tacked on. I had to go back and listen to them the way I remembered them from the cassettes or the albums. Here's how you go. Yep. Drop the vinyl. It's exactly the way it was the day it came out. Exactly. And I love every bit of it. I didn't know anything about these bonus tracks until I went back now, and William, pulled Wasp up in Amazon Music. William, does 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 your headless children have two or three uh, KKK guys on it? Three, three. That's yep. that's the second three. Right three. That's the believe it or not. That's the second version. Yeah, the this is. This is the, the uh, what's the brand name on it? Uh, Madfish. Yeah. Madfish not, also did the uh, the ones that I've got in my shopping cart right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm not picking on you or anybody else, but there are actually the original version of the Headless Children have only two KK guys on it. For some strange oh. reason, they, they had to take whatever that dude's face in front of the other, the first KK guy, they had to take it off. I don't know what it was was i'm serious they did I, I i only found this out like two weeks ago myself now you're gonna have to track that down i mean i'm, I'm not counting no, wait, KKK let, guys. let's have back up there andy you mean this, this chinese a, guy yeah it looks like kind of a chinese guy i guess okay so he's in there and then the third kkk guy isn't okay i see that yeah i'll have yeah, to check my cd but believe it or not, I didn't even know that until like two weeks ago in a watch form where a guy showed it, showed the thing, the original album, which I got on my wall, and he showed both versions. I was like, holy crap, I got to go relook at my stuff now. And I'm like, yep. So he's like, yeah, it's just they had some kind of band, so they take the dude out. I, I don't know. And they put another KK guy, KKK guy in, which I didn't even understand that, whatever, you know, so. And for people like, oh, my God, if they don't know what this means. Okay, just, so the, I, I, I've just looked it up. The guy who was replaced is the Ayatollah Khomeini. Oh, okay, there you was go. was edited out in favor of an additional KKK guy. Um, and appar apparently there are others on the cover who have been replaced, and it doesn't say why, and it is Wikipedia, which uh, says all you need to know about the veracity of the source, but... In, in terms of who it was. That's weird. I didn't know. Now I'm going to have to find a copy of the album so that I can see who has been replaced over the years because that's wild. And if you, if you look really closely at the third guy, he might be a Ninja Turtle from his facial structure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's weird. got that, that, wide, that wide jaw. Yeah, and your, and your, blur, your blur feature blurs the okay. whole album cover whenever you hold anything up. Oh, does it? Okay, yeah. I don't like, know Like mine, is, that, so. that's the downside to this it, technology. Oh, okay. Well, my, mine works okay, I think, but the problem is I, only, I just get the CDs and the cassettes sitting here. So yeah, let's, pick, let's pick a couple of favorite songs and your least favorite off the headless. And, Bill, why don't I start with you on that? And you can include the B-tracks if you really want to bash on Locomotive Breath again one last time. Okay, so if I if I have to if I have to pick one I don't like, I'll I'll include the B track of Locomotive Breath because it's 
horrid. If you want to hear a good version of it, and I don't know what you guys think of it, but sticks blows the roof off a locomotive breath. If you want to hear a good version of it, that's where you go find a good cover of that. As far as the best, uh, well, I'd, and I'm going to go ahead and skip the cover because it's brilliant. Bonnie knows how to pick the covers. That's definitely you know a fact because even the even though he did it lousy. Locomotive Breath is an awesome song. But uh, I see. I probably have to go with the Heretic and uh, the Neutron Bomber and Rebel and the FDG. I'm going to pick three off of this one because it's so awesome. Yep. Nice. Good choices, all. Andy. Oh, going for good? <laughs> good and bad. Um, well, I just skipped the bat. I'll take the same one, you guys. I don't the locomotive thing, whatever. I don't even really count that because it's not really me for me. It's really technically not on the album, you know. It's kind of more of a B side, so whatever. Uh, it it's not my favorite off the album, but this is uh, the real me is the best cover. That's why he's going back. The other ones are like I don't need all. The real me is the best cover they've done out of all the cover tunes. I agree. And even Pete Townsend said it himself. Yeah, he had sent him a letter, and he showed the letter back saying, "This is one of the greatest like covers uh, that he's heard of of this song, The Real Me." So it's not my favorite song, but this is the favorite out of all the cover songs. So, anyways, one of my favorite songs, just like William, is "Rebel in the FDG." I love that song from top. It's that's the last, you know, because usually it's the a last song on a bottom of an album is kind of more like okay it's a filler it's the end this song basically kicks you in the ass you know what i mean yep sometimes i feel like an animal an animal in a cage i pace back and forth try to sink myself into but no one knows what's going on inside me i mean just some serious lyrics going on here it just i love this whole album the headless children's awesome okay i forever free i really don't have a really bad one off this album. I don't really. Maybe, maybe uh, you don't maybe have to. Ha- you don't have to have a bad one if you don't have one. You don't have to pick one. Yeah. yeah, there's not a bad one on the on the original release. Period. Yeah. Pro- probably then probably the I'd say I'm gonna say the weakest for me would. Well, it's not because it doesn't really have anything. Else. I, I love it though. It's Melissa's Waltz. It doesn't have. You know, it just has that music. It doesn't really sing, so yeah. it doesn't really have anything. Just an you know intro. I mean? but just kind of an intro if that you count that, but if not, I think a man eater. That's the only one it's and it's not even bad. That's the that's the thing. <laughs> you know? And well, you know that's that's the thing is with Electric Circus where you started picking up on the on him and Chris being bikers, you know. But they don't write biker anthems like everybody else writes biker anthems. You know, of course you think of the greatest one ever is, you know, uh the one I can't think of right now. Born to be wild, whatever. That's the greatest biker. But, but, but you know, and that's the thing is, you know, everybody, everybody who plays a biker party thinks they need to play Born to be Wild. But you know, if you come out with Man Eater or uh, you know, uh, there was a there was a another biker song on. Uh, I'm going to go back to it. I promised I wasn't going to go back to my notes, but forever off of Electra Service. No, on, on Electric Circus. There's one about being a biker. Uh, I'm going blank myself. That's stupid. 
I'm going blank. Damn, which one is it? There's one on here. Electric Gypsy. Is it? Yeah, oh, Electric Re Gypsy. Re Restless Gypsy? No, Electric gy Gypsy off of... Uh, uh, <laughs> inside the electric circus. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's Restless Gypsy. And, is it Restless Gypsy? Yeah, but if you want to call it Electric Gypsy, that's fine. I think it actually says Electric Gypsy on the uh, on, on Amazon. Well, then Amazon no, it does, no, it does say Restless Gypsy. There we I, go. I got, it might have been from where I was reading explicit so much. There it we go. All right, so head, favorites yeah. for me oh, to kind of wrap this is, oh, I'm going to have to go with the title track. It's just epic. Uh, really, really good. And Neutron Bomber. Always love that. Uh, would be my two. If I had to pick three, it would be The Heretic as well. Um, as for least, I, I'm going to stay with the original album. And my least favorite sure. song on this is and has always been Rebel in the yeah. FDG. Man, we all, we, all, we all agree on the same song that kick ass. Did you just say Rebel FDG? Yeah, he said, he said that least, was his least favorite. Least favorite. Really? Yeah. I, I I have just never liked it. I I know that it was like uh, you know supposed to mean something rebel in the effing decent generation. I was just like, what the hell does that mean? And so it, well, it just never did anything. For, it just never did anything no, for me. Degenerate, and I, degenerate generation. And everything else on it is just so strong that you know picking a favorite is really difficult, whereas that's the one that's easy for me just to say I, I like that least of the songs, but I would never skip it when playing what is now the, my playlist. So, you know, uh, we're at 90 minutes for this you know, episode. On that one, what I get an idea from it, on that one, what I get from it is it sounds like Blackie decided to write a Guns N' Roses song because it sounds like what Guns N' Roses would sound like if they were Wasp. <laughs> 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 I really... And I should have picked a uh, squeak in my Randy story real quick. Yeah, do absolutely. Okay, I should have put, uh, put new, Neutron Bomber though. I should have switched that one from Man Eater to Neutron Bomber. Why worry? You like them all. By Ro yeah. Ronald Reagan, the song about Ronald Reagan. <laughs> all right, go ahead. You're okay. You're... I... Way back at the beginning of the show, I told you about my friend that had moved back home from Florida with the, the first Wasp album. He had ended up moving back here to Cincinnati, or he was in the Cincinnati area for a while. And he joined this band, and he goes, dude, you got to come on and meet the band. And I'm like, why? He goes, because it's Randy F. and Piper in the band. He joined Animal. Animal that put... You know, Randy Piper's animal that put out that first album. My friend Kelly Wilmot, rest in peace, greatest guy ever, and one of my best friends for life. He he was the drummer for uh, for Animal in their in their uh, not their first stage, but when they actually because they had a point where they were uh, where they were you know doing showcases and stuff like that, and then in the nineties it kind of slacked off because of grunge and all of that stuff. But then when that started easing up, I think it was about 95, 97. It, uh, the two got the bass player and the singer. And I remember the singer's name was rich. I can't remember the bass player's name, but they lived in Cincinnati. And so Randy relocated to Cincinnati and reformed animal. And they brought Kelly in as a drummer. So I actually got to meet Randy Piper 
you know, I, I sat like, you know, four feet away from him for hours at a, at a time on a couple occasions. Nice. But, uh, unfortunately, he seemed like he had a little bit of a rock star complex. But I mean, he it's not like he was a total asshole or anything like that. But, you know, he was just kind of like, uh, he, he just thought things should move faster than they did, I guess. You know, there was a lot of rehearsing and stuff and learning and writing. They, I actually saw them write a couple songs off of that first Animal album. Wow, and that so album is, I, I looked it up while I had the chance, and that's uh, 900 Pound Steam. Yeah. Came out in 2002 on Paris Records, so no doubt someone's ripped it and it's up on YouTube. Uh, that was, what, the first of, uh, how many albums did Animal put out? Uh, three. So followed that up with Violent New Breed, which I remember, and Virus. So... That's a that's a very cool story. I mean, and Randy, of course, fantastic. Just think, just think of oh. you know the the music that he's been a part of. So that's that's a very cool story with which to, to end this around. episode. Yeah, he's still around. I I don't know what he's up to these days. That that might be well be a, another interview that you know can be done. Have to you know kind of find out you know if this show's going to do many interviews or whether we're just going to talk music and that's all to be determined. We're very early days in the life of Look It's Rock and Roll, and you know this is the the end of the third well the second Wasp chat. So I think in the third it's going to be clear that we're only going to talk about one album. It's, really? <laughs> Only it, one? It's one. It's 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 just gonna have to be one of those things, and that's that's an interesting episode to itself. But I think for now, let's leave that there. Bill, thank you very much for taking the time to join in on this discussion on the three Wasp albums. And Andy, of course, thank you for forcing me to talk about something other than Aerosmith. Because <laughs> okay. thanks for okay. having okay. me. I really What's appreciate it. it. All Just right. <laughs> and I did pick Wasp back up about 92, so if it, if we get to the point where we get to Crimson Idol, I can actually, you know, kind of refresh myself on the stuff that I missed and maybe bring a newbie approach to it, if you guys get that far. Dig into, it, Crim dig into Crimson. That's the next one up, and uh, we'd love that's, to have you a part of these shows. That's what we're okay. doing. We're trying yeah. to get just two or three albums in at a time, I think, but I think yeah. that Crimson Idol... I, I'm, I, I refuse point blank to split uh, still not black enough into an episode with other albums. I'm not going to split the Crimson into an episode with other albums. There's just enough to discuss on each one of those as an episode that whether it's, you know, an hour or even 45 minutes, uh, just keep it single focus for those two because they're, they're both particularly good bits of art with lots of stories that go with them. All right, that's it for this episode. So for now, from Bill, from Andy, myself, thank you for watching the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast, and we shall see you next time. Keep safe, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. Facebook.